first of all, just having a plan and understanding how to navigate from point A to point B, beginning to end, without going down rabbit holes. That's really important because you can't go faster than you already are. You're already going as fast as you can, right? I, I mean, it, you'd go faster if you could. So you need to find ways that are more efficient and take advantage of the fact that the test is standardized and you know what's coming. From Test Takers, this is the Hashtag Prep Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn more about standardized testing and college admissions so that you can help your students navigate this important time with accurate and insightful information. Hosted by Test Takers Director of Development, Andrew Nadiakara, and Director of Personnel, Jeremy Free. So prepare to learn the secrets that will help your students gain clarity, reduce stress, and work smarter, not harder. This is the Hashtag Prep Podcast. with another episode of Hashtag Prep. I love shooting these episodes, especially while they coincide with our semesters. Right now we're in our summer semester, one of our biggest semesters, uh, mainly because we can bring our field knowledge right into these podcasts. Uh, one of our students had the question the other day, how do I get faster on this section? Usually, you know, I fundamentally don't advocate for speeding through the test. I think one of our guests today has uh, the sound bite. The only prize you get for finishing early is the doofus prize, so use every minute you can. But what if you aren't finishing sections? That's a serious issue many students come across. Uh, today's guests are here to help us discuss some of those strategies and timing tips to shave off a few minutes so that students can finish their section. So in studio, we have one of our directors who's been on our show before, Alan Ree. Hey, what's going on, guys? And along with us, we have one of the OGs of the Test Taker family. We have Adam Danger. So apart from your truly epic name, Adam, can you introduce yourself to our guests? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Um, well, let's see. You got the part. I'm Adam Danger, the guy with the, with the cool name. And I've actually been working with Test Takers now for... Gosh, uh, running the clock backward this far, uh, it, it, uh, over 30 years. I, I hate to think it. It's like it's going to push 40 soon. It, it kind of makes me shake when I think about that. But um, I've seen it all and happy to share my experience um, working with students all over the country uh, on SATs and other stuff. So if I can make your life a little easier, then great. Awesome. So why don't we just get right into today's episode and let's start off with the math section where students who uh, either don't know some formulas, they haven't practiced enough, what can students do to kind of speed up their math? Yeah, yeah. I think a little bit of what you guys touched on earlier, which is true, is first, there's no prize for finishing early, right? So that is a big misconception and it sounds counterintuitive, but to get faster at the math, you don't want to rush. It's, it's not about being sloppy or inaccurate. We have a thing in our materials that says, think before you math, right? That's a really important part of the SAT math section. This is not what most people think of as, you know, very deep math. This is not the, you know, what used to be the subject test SAT2. This is not AP Calc or anything like that. These are mostly concepts that students have learned through sometimes sophomore year, but at most junior year. So this test is really a logic and reasoning test. So for that reason, a lot of times before you do a lot of math, before you start scribbling a lot of things down, if you just think a little bit, you have a lot of options that you can employ. Some of those things we talk about in our course. If you scan the answer choices and you're solving for one thing, maybe you have answer choices in numerical order. You can perhaps back solve. That's one of the strategies we talk about. A lot of variables in the question. Make that easier. How? 
just plug in a number, plug in an easy number. Again, things we talk about in our course. Um, not to mention the fact that, hey, what is your target score? That should be a thing that every student thinks about realistically. Realistically thinks about everybody wants an 800. Let's be real about that. What is your starting score and what can you realistically achieve? And to that end, all the points are worth the same. Every question is a point that contributes to your test. Do you necessarily need to finish all 38 questions in section four and all 20 questions in section three in order to achieve that? No? Well, what's the deal here? The questions get more difficult as you get on in the section, though they're worth the same. We talk about this in a strategy in our course called target numbers, a very important concept and just knowing what the test is. Yeah, so a combination of using your techniques and target numbers will really help you focus on your timing. With the techniques, say you say, and I'm being super conservative here with this number, like six seconds on a problem across 10 problems, you've saved a minute and that starts to accumulate across this test. Adam? Yeah, I, I actually ran through these numbers the other day with my class. Um, it, it's so easy to feel the pinch of running out of time at the end of the section and attribute the timing problem to managing the end, where it, it's something that actually starts at the very first question you answer. And all you need to do is take 10 extra seconds, say, per question. Um, you don't feel that at the time. You might even feel like you're moving at a good pace, but 10 extra seconds across 30 questions, that's three minutes after, you know, like half an hour. Um, and so you've lost 10% of your time. You can't do that. Um, but simple planning, not going faster. Planning is really what it's all about. It, using techniques, understanding how, what I like to call, how not to step in a bear trap. There are questions that... As your experience gets better, um, practicing on real tests is a huge bonus for this experience factor. As your experience gets better, you begin to notice the bear traps. So if you see, you know, a question with parabolas and lines shooting everywhere and that's not your cup of tea, step around it. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Save it for later. And, and it's hard because people are used to doing questions in numerical order. You don't have to do it that way. Um, so first of all, just having a plan and understanding how to navigate from point A to point B, beginning to end, without going down rabbit holes. That's really important because you can't go faster than you already are. You're already going as fast as you can, right? I, I mean, it, you'd go faster if you could. So you need to find ways that are more efficient and take advantage of the fact that the test is standardized and you know what's coming. Absolutely. One specific piece of advice I give my students who struggle with timing on the math is memorize the formulas. They give you the formulas at the beginning of the section, but something like area of a circle, circumference, uh, area of a triangle, those show up on the test not too frequently because geometry is kind of like reduced on the SAT, but not having to flip back and reference those, that kind of saves you a few seconds here and there. So I always advocate memorize the important formulas there. Yeah, yeah and, uh, you, you know... It I mean, by all means, look something up if you need to. But if you wonder, it's like, where do those little 10 second increments go? Like flipping back to look something up that you might have already known. Um, that's a 10 second gone. And it, it, again, it doesn't feel like much at the time, but it adds up and you feel it at the end. Yeah, and one thing I always like to remind students is that there are not an infinite number of questions. They'll change the names and numbers around, but that's why it's important to practice and like use your techniques. That's why this stuff works. It's a standardized test. Exactly. Good point. And 
once you've seen enough practice, you see a question, they're going to change up the number slightly. They'll change up the wording, but it's the same concept. Johnny's going to sell, you know, muffins and biscuits, and he's going to sell a certain number of them. They're going to cost a certain number of dollars, right? That's your system of equations question. You'll see that for sure on every SAT in many different forms. And the more experience you can get with it, the more you'll know exactly what to do uh, before you spend too much time, as Adam said, going down a wrong path. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, when that question turns from, you know, cookies and muffins into, well, the circus comes to town and adults and children go and they've got $20 tickets and $10 tickets, when you can recognize that that's the same thing as the muffins and cookies, you're going to get through it a lot more quickly. All right. Fantastic. So let's pivot to writing now. Let's work backwards through this test. Uh, the writing section, not too much we can really say in terms of speeding up the time, because it is one of the tightest sections you have 44 questions to do in 35 minutes. Uh, my advice is you have to know your rules there, but what do you guys have, Adam? Yeah, well, you know, again, the questions are largely asking very similar things over and over and over again. So um, it's easy enough to look at the grammar and um, an expression of ideas rules as very big, um, but to the extent that they're testing them on the SAT, it's a limited set of things. For instance, it, you know, there are all kinds of comma rules out there. People worry about commas, but if you learn that on the SAT, basically they're just worried about commas in lists and attaching, uh, you know, a, a fragment to an independent clause, then you don't have to worry about all those other commas and waste your time. Yeah, I think one thing that I tell my students, especially if you're looking for a high score in writing, is you don't want to go into every question just having no idea what's going on. You read every answer choice. You pick the one that sounds right. That's the thing that really drives me crazy as a teacher. Know what you're doing going into this. Look at your answer choices. They're going to have similarities and differences. If you start to see answer choice A has a semicolon and B has a comma and C has a dash, well, of course, that's going to be about punctuation and you can narrow your focus. A different question might have a lead-in. We call this a stem that'll give you direct instructions on what to do. Does the author want you to finish this sentence off with something that will refer back to the main idea? If so, do that. If the author wants to add something that will add an additional point not yet you know, mentioned in the passage, that's a different question entirely. So knowing what to do before you go into a question and reading every answer choice and saying sounds right, sounds right, sounds right uh, is a big, big deal. Um, for us, we say grammar beats gut in this case, right? Grammar, knowing the grammar really is going to give you a leg up versus going into every question and just feeling whichever one feels good to you. My specific advice for the writing is really if you're stuck between two choices that both might be grammatically correct, go with the shorter one. The SAT prefers concision. So just getting that, having getting comfortable being like, uh, hey, I'm stuck between these two. This one's shorter. Let me just trust that it is correct, and it usually is because of concision, that it's avoiding passive voice or something along those lines. And then another piece of advice I give is know your connectors, where it's like nonetheless, nevertheless, however, therefore, and their relationship. If you have two answer choices that are nevertheless and nonetheless, they both probably can't be right there, so it's probably safe to eliminate those, especially on those expression of ideas, those connector problems. Yeah, and, and don't underestimate how much time can evaporate while you're mulling over uh, a question that depends on a rule that you forgot, like the colon rule is one that people kind of forget sometimes, which is that you need to have a complete sentence, an independent clause before your colon. People think 
after the colon is what matters. And the problem with that is that you could look at a question until you're, a, you know, an old guy like me and you still won't know what's right if you don't, if you won't recognize the colon issue if you don't know that rule. So the very small number of rules, make sure you know them. So let's talk about probably where students lose the most time, where they uh, feel the most underconfident, and that is the reading section. That What do they do if they don't finish a section? And I kind of want to start off this part by saying, even if you don't finish a section, say you missed the last four questions, you can still get a good score. We talked about this on one of our previous podcasts, the Careless Mistakes one. Let's say you, you dilly-dallied on a few problems and you didn't get the last few. You can still get a good score. You're going to get an 800? No. But can you get a, a strong 700 plus? Yes, if you make sure you have everything else down. So do you guys have any advice for the reading, Alan? Yeah, I would say, just to echo what you said, um, this may be a little bit nuanced, but the scoring table on the reading and the writing, section one and two, which go evenly into that 800 score, are not made the same. They're, they're not equal. If you just think about the fact that there are 52 questions in the reading and only 44 in the writing, um, you're going to get penalized much less for every reading miss. All right, so that's thing number one. Thing number two is it just takes a lot of mental energy reading. Um, there's a reason that it's first. It is 65 minutes. That's a, a long time to get students to focus. So we try to cut down on the waffling or the in, in, um, inability to eliminate questions by giving you very specific reasons. So we talk about an acronym called MTA, which, you know, is, is, is common throughout the test taking world. But these are things where you get very specific, very specific about why things are wrong. Why are wrong answers wrong? There is something about that answer choice that is simply not mentioned in the passage, not true, or you may be answering a question that you're not even supposed to. All right. And so getting, getting really specific about keywords, you know, that's, that's a funny thing. What is the question asking is such a basic level question, but you'd be surprised how many students we go through a diagnostic review and they say, Oh, I thought it was asking something else. Well, yeah, you have to be very, very careful about exactly what it is the question is asking. Yeah, moving too quickly through the reading, again, just trying to make your legs move as fast as possible. That's not necessarily going to get you to the other side where you want to be. And, and another thing to realize, again, about these wrong answers, a lot of people wind up in a situation where they have to think about two different answers. Oh, is it this or is it that? And what I always like to tell people in that situation is, look, there's one right answer and there's three wrong answers. OK, and there are no close answers. <laughs> there's only one right one. Um, so if you're stuck between two answers, take some solace from the fact that one of them's right and one's wrong. And maybe just figuring out which one's wrong is going to be faster than figuring out which one's right. Look for disqualifiers, I say. Absolutely. And practicing that. Once again, the, the only way you're going to get better and faster at the test is through practice. That That's compulsory there. Uh, but I want to get ahead of some nonsense advice that I hear out there that uh, you don't even need to read the passage. You can go straight to the questions, which is absolute garbage advice to anyone who gives it. Uh, the only people that could truly probably pull it off are like directors, people who've been doing it for 30 plus years. But that's what everybody wants to hear. You can get a higher reading score by reading less. Absolutely not. What you do need to practice, though, is skim reading, being able to work around things that you don't know. Students often get bogged down in the details. You don't need the details. You focus on the details when you do your line reference questions. So my advice for getting faster at the reading is focus on those line reference questions, get good at going back to those, and a combination of MTA, and that will make you almost flawless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just a, a big difference between not reading and knowing how to read for this SAT. I think a lot of people treat this like they're reading a novel. 
right? Like they're reading, reading for English class <laughs> and they need to, you know, write an essay about this later. No, no, this is much more like a word search or one of those games where you look at two pictures and you're looking for the differences. You have that text. It's there. It's not going away. So when you refer to the questions, there should be a lot of flipping back and forth in your, in your page in order for you to actually locate words that are synonyms for the answer choices or the words in the question themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I often precede this with, I hate to say it, but often I tell kids, look, you're not thinking. Okay. Don't think during the reading. What you think about the reading is beside the point. It's what it says. You're finding. Get used to finding. Finding is faster anyway. I mean, you can think forever. Once you find something, you got it and you move along. So, um, you know, it makes sure that you're calibrated properly. You're looking for evidence. You're looking for explicit statement, even if they trot out their, you know, their famous word. You know, it can be inferred from the passage. That's not your sign to start imagining what you think the answer is. That just means we couldn't think of a better way to ask you. It states in the passage. So look for those specific references um, and you'll save yourself a lot of time chasing your own tail. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. The, the answers to the question of why, why is this answer right, is you take your finger or your pencil and you point it to a spot in the text. The more you need to say, well, if you think about it, wouldn't this be, if this is true, then that, okay. The more you have to say, just stop, just stop, okay? Point to a line, and as Adam said, even when it says inferred, you're pointing to specific words that allow you to infer that thing, okay? So it's not a made-up thing. It's not something where you're taking three logical steps away from what the author says. Everything is in the passage. It's literal, and, you know, you just need to treat it as, as such. Yeah, no reading between the lines. Read the lines themselves. That's all you need. All right, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, as always, guests, please share this with friends and family and anyone desperate need of SAT advice. Feel free to visit us at preppodcast.com and ttprep.com if you're looking for any test prep itself. And uh, don't hesitate to five-star us on Apple Podcasts. So with me today, we have Adam Danger. We have Alan Reed. My name is Naka. And this has been Hashtag Prepped.